I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact. In association with The Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance, I'm Brian Moore. I'm pleased to be back after a, a temporary hiatus uh, in matters. Joining me tonight is the former Wales and Lions star, Martin Williams. Good evening, Martin. Good evening, Moral. Uh, coming up on the podcast, we'll be talking all things Lions and Champions Cup with not only Martin, but we'll also be talking to Rory Underwood, Alex Corbusiero and Malcolm O'Kelly. We'll be getting a view from the other side of the world with Super Rugby and the Kiwi commentator Daniel McHardy. And of course, we'll be having our regular Super League Rugby League fixture um, and we'll be talking to Phil Kaplan of 4020. So we've got expert views all round. Remember, you can uh, ask us a question if you want to via the hashtag full contact. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And please leave a review. Right. On with the show. Um, Marty, we've got lots of time to talk about the Lions uh, with various people. The weekend's action. Um, I've just watched the uh, denouement of Clement Auvergne, who uh, actually put Leinster away fairly um, fairly easily, 22-27, although Leinster fought back well in the end. But yesterday's game, the Munster-Sarries game, I thought... Um, was quite significant in lots of ways. Did you manage to catch that? I did, Moral. First and foremost, fantastic to hear you up and well, pal. Thank you. Sure. I did watch yesterday, yeah, and um, obviously with my Celtic hat on and my Pro 12 hat on, I had um, some high expectations mm-hmm. from Munster. Um, obviously, the game in, in, in the Aviva, um, you know, the, the support from Munster as ever was incredible. But... Um, after 20 minutes, the writing was on the wall because Munster, you know, they came out, as you expected, full of emotion, full of pride through everything at Saracens, but hardly made a dent. Um, they, they, they are just, for me, the complete team, Saracens. They, there's no real weakness. They, are, they needed it. Munster needed to be on top of their game yesterday and without Conor Murray it was always going to be difficult but I think you've got to give huge credit to Saracens to go to the Viva in that cold run um, they just totally dominated Munster physically and tactically Well it was you know they got the good, they got a good uh, good start they got three points up but Saris clawed the way back in first visit down into 22 got three points and then when the when I thought when, when Munster could not get a point when they were a man up I thought you know, and Sarries actually were profligate and, and didn't, you know, Richard Wigglesworth dropped her sitter, really. Yeah. 
I thought, I, you know, I am watching a different game to what's been described on the comms here because it always felt to me as though as soon as Saris get in, you know, back into the full complement and so on, they'll start to get chances. And indeed, they, they, they squandered another two. You know, Ashton, I, I don't know whether it was him or the pass. Uh, George Cruz didn't get the ball down over the line. But I'm now, I'm now wondering what Clement Auvergne will bring to the party, apart from a lot of power. Um, that Saracens won't be able to deal with. No, you're right, Moore. I, I felt exactly the th- same thing. Like I said, after 20 minutes, you just felt the writing was on the wall for Munster. Yeah. You're looking at Saracens, and you know, I suppose when you're doing analysis the week before, you know, where are there are no weaknesses. You know, you, you kick badly to them. They got a fantastic back three. Their centres are so solid defensively. Half backs to the best. You know, tactical kickers in the game, and you've got all that power and athleticism in the pack. So I, I agree with you. I think Munster were hanging on in there, and um, they are such a dangerous team. And the power on the bench, you've got somebody like Shark Burger yeah. coming off the bench for God's sake, and for Saracens. Brits as well, and Brits as well. And you know, it just shows the golfing class at the minute. I think yeah. between the Aviva and the Pro Twelve. Yeah, um, let's talk about the, the Champions Cup. We don't. Sorry, the Challenge Cup. We don't often. Mention this, but uh, for Gloucester to have been the, the, the team that, that were are topping the top 14, La Rochelle, away 16-14, is a tremendous uh, victory because they've fallen short so many times in so many competitions. I'm actually quite pleased for the Gloucester faithful. Yes, but you never know quite know what you're going to get from Gloucester. They are, you know, you look at the team sheet, they've got some real talent in there, but I think that was the first game all year La Rochelle have lost at yes. home. And when you look, you know, that top 14 and the quality of teams that have actually gone to La Rochelle and, you know, come away without a win, it just yeah. goes to show how good a win that was from Gloucester, defended for their lives, you know. Well, Moriarty, a... I mean, a lot of people have been talking about line selection. They will come on to, to discuss this in detail. And looking at a few of the ones, and one of the ones that have caused a bit of a uh, not not real trouble, but you know a few questions was Moriarty's. But right. I tell you what, when you see what he t- what he can do and what he did in that game, you, he, you can understand exactly what job he's been picked to do. He, his selection did raise eyebrows. No, I didn't see it coming. Um, but then when you you know what it's like on a Lions tour, more or what Moriarty will do, and I think he's done this in in the Welsh camp as well. He he comes in and in training he does not give a damn for anybody's reputation. He stirs yep. it up, um, and he proved himself. He was outstanding in New Zealand last year in the first two Test matches, yes, he was. and I think Gatlin would have logged that. This guy, you know, he just goes out. He's an absolute warrior. You you know his you know his father well. Would have played against his father. And, uh, you know, yes, I yes. did as well. And the, the Moriarty and his uncle Richard as well. So yes, sir. The, yes, the, the, yes. He, he's he's cut from the same cloth as those boys. So uh, he was brilliant. You know, some real, with my Welsh bias, Richard Bard as well. You know, they got warriors in the in the Gloucester pack. But I just think yeah. defensively they fronted up yesterday. It was an outstanding win. Yeah, and um, you know, today I mean Bath again. I, I, the, I, I have said this also for a while at Bath. It's not a question of talent. No. But they lose games um, when, you know, really they, they should be closing them out. It's a very narrow loss to San Francisco. It's only three points. It's a last gasp effort by them. But they should have put that game to bed. You yeah. should have put it to bed. What do you see that as more? Or do you think it's mental strength? Uh, yes, I they've, do. They've got I, experience, I, you know, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, I do. Because they've got enough experience now. They've got the caps... You know, people like Ford and so on, they're no longer Callow using in the um, low uh, teen, uh, you know, number of caps. These these guys are getting 20, 30-odd 
chaps, and the, and the 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 spine of the team has sufficient has sufficient experience to man, to manoeuvre games in a way that when you look at the well, we are talking about the best of the best at the moment club wise, but when you look at the Saracens spine, you know, and what they do within games to control games at every point, mm. whether they're attacking or defending, whether they need to. Um, just alter the, you know, alter you know, certain things. They make decisions right. And one thing that really impressed me um, from from Saris was their defence of the line out. Now we all know Munster can drive a line out and can drive malls, and they've been doing that profitably for 10, 15 years, and as good as anyone at it. And yet they were caused problems because Saris sometimes they went in straight away, banged it to the floor. Sometimes they didn't go in; they just let. But if, um, Marco Vonipola be the sole tackler. Sometimes they tried to spin them. And so the, the, all their decisions, they're thinking all the time. And this is what seems to me to be the, the differentiator between the really top teams and the teams like Bath and Gloss who don't quite have the um, consistency. It's that ability to vary your thought, attacking-wise or defensive-wise, on the hoof. I th- I think a lot of that is down to coaching. More or less. I yeah, really do. Okay. I think Sarri's got an, uh, you know an unbelievable coaching team there, and you can see how well drilled they are yesterday. Mm-hmm. Saracens were watch Bath earlier, and, and you know Stade Francais not a great team. Bath should be going to Paris and yes. beating somebody like Stade Francais. And if it was Saracens going to Stade Francais, they would probably won by twenty thirty points. So mm-hmm. I just think they looked a little bit. They got fantastic individuals, Bath, but they're not quite gelling as a team and you know I think that's the massive difference is, is, is the coaching structures between Bath and Saracens yeah uh, they, they, they seem to have uh, settled uh, they for all their um, flirting with the salary cap and let's 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 be honest we all know what's <laughs> gone on um, the, but the fact is that when I look at Bath and I see how they've spent their money and then I look at Saracens and see how much they yeah. spent on their money in the academy and the coaching structures. And, and to see their coaching structure also has a pecking order yeah. and has people coming through, then I can see you know, which has been spent on a, on a wiser but, basis. Well, from the, from the outside, more, you know, across the bridge looking at Saracens yeah. and you know, just retired, really, that is the one club. You look at the set, I mean, you speak to people um, who've been there, who've played in there, they, they've just got it smart. I know they lose a lot of money. I think the results throughout today, they lose £4 million a year. But um, you know, in comparison to other teams who are spending so much money, they get nowhere near the results of Saracens. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, it's a little bit like the old old days with Liverpool, isn't it? You know, they, they, they're promoting people from within into the coaching yeah. staff. You see guys like Kevin Sorrell, Alex Anderson, all these guys who, you know, they've just created an unbelievable culture there. And mm-hmm. I know they've signed Liam Williams uh, for next year. Those, and they, they sign the right sort of uh, bloke or person, for want of a better word, don't they, more as well as you know, fantastic rugby players, and that's where I think mm-hmm. a lot of teams throw money at, at you know, at star yeah. players. But are they necessarily the right, you know, the right sort of men for those teams? No, I think uh, you're absolutely right. Okay, we'll uh, we'll leave it there for the chat between the two of us, and we'll get on with the views of of, uh, of our other guests. Uh, we'll be speaking to Alex Corbusiero, Rory Underwood, Malcolm O'Kelly, uh, Phil Kaplan and Daniel McCarty very, very shortly. In association with QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions. 
now I'm pleased to be able to speak to a former Lions and Saints uh, prop, Alex Corbusiero, who's been on the show before, uh, hosts his own podcast, uh, hosts the uh, ESPN uh, coverage of uh, the Premiership. Good evening, Alex. Hey, mate, how's it going? Not too bad, not too bad. Are you all right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, I'm still, well, I'm still alive, so that's something, isn't it, I suppose? Uh, as much as you can hope for, really. I tell you, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to explore this with you first, Alex. You are um, living testimony as to why people who might not have got what they thought they should have got in terms of getting live selection should never give up hope and should keep themselves fit and uh, keep themselves sharp. Uh, because, you know, you, you just remind everyone, um, you know, what, what happened uh, to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, you know, I was in a boat where I missed the Six Nations with injury. Uh, I was back playing by the time the Lions were announced. Uh, I felt I had a very good autumn internationals, but then, you know, probably hadn't showed the form I needed to show to get on the boat, and uh, I didn't make the selection. And, um, you know, it was a tough pill to swallow at the time, but I just used that to, to motivate myself to train as hard as I could to, to act and play like I was going to try and going to go on that tour. And, you know, it's a cliche that I think a lot of the boys that haven't been picked will hear is, you know, you never know what's happened, stay ready sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But but it really is true because you, you, you look at the schedule, you look at what comes ahead, the amount of games, how physical it is, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of call-ups. And so my, so my my experience was, you know, I played my last couple of games at London Irish, a club I'd grown, my lo grown up with. We had nothing to play for, but I went out and played them like they were test matches to me. And mm -hmm. then we played the Barbarians at Twickenham, I took that same mentality into it and, and felt I was starting to build some form. We went out to Argentina. I was getting ready to, um, to, to prepare for a test there. And, you know, Kean Healy goes down uh, in a game out in Perth. And, you know, next thing you know, I, I was on a 30-hour plane journey from Salta to Buenos Aires to Santiago, Chile, to Auckland, <laughs> to Sydney, to Brisbane to finally join the Lions. And I was playing, and I think, within two, three days of arriving. So, you know, there really is no time to... Um, you know, to sit and, and, and sulk or, or, you know, feel hard done by. You really just need to, to keep pushing and keep motivated because that you are literally only one, one injury away and for a lot of these guys. And, you know, there's a pecking order, but it, it's very hard to pick that pecking order. Yeah. So you really have to be on your toes and, and ready to go. And then because once you get in that Lions environment, there is no time to get up to speed. You yeah. can't. You can't be the new guy. You can't turn up and expect the senior players or the coaches to put an arm around you and go, oh, he's just got here. We've got to look after him. You have to go there and take ownership of everything they do yep. and be a player like you know, and, and act like a senior player and act like a full international. And you can't be the new guy. So that comes with the right mindset. And then once you turn up, um, you know, handling yourself the right way. So tell me, you know, what the, you, you talk about the right mindset. What were you actually thinking? You get off the, you get off after a long flight. You walk into uh, the ensemble, you know, you know some people, you don't know others. They've all at least met once. Uh, I mean, I've had a few days bonding and drumming and all, whatever they do. You know, what, what are you actually, what were, what were you thinking when you walked into that meeting room? You know, it, it, was, it, was, it was mixed emotions, I think. You know, there was a lot of excitement. Um, you know, I, it was an unbelievable opportunity, an unbelievable honour, everything that comes with the Lions. But then there's also a little bit of anxiety. You know, there's a lot of guys you haven't met. It's a completely new environment. You don't know what to expect from 
how the coaching and the lads have bonded. There's a lot of, you know, big-name players in that environment. For my instance, you know, I knew there's a Paul O'Connell, a Brian O'Driscoll, uh, Tommy Bowe, guys you probably looked up to as a from a from you know from a kid really all the way like up to your career. So to be in an environment then where you're almost one of their equals, uh, you know, can be a little bit daunting. But I think you just have to get on with the task and you have to just be present and be in the moment. And you can't sort of sit back on your heels and and you know feel your way in or be awestruck because everyone on that tour needs to be completely committed to pushing that team forward. For the Lions to be successful, you need like a selfless attitude of, you know, push the team forward, what's best for the team, not the individual. And for me personally, my sole purpose when I turned up there was to show that I deserve to, to play for this team and that I deserve to be here from the start. And I just used that motivation to try and make the most opportunities when I had them. Alex, Martin Williams, you hope you're well, pal. Yeah, you too, mate. Yeah, just go back to the the current squad and selection. Um, and obviously, I'm one of the pretty boys at the back, so I don't really understand what you front row guys do. But just when you know, from the outside looking in, Hartley not getting selected, and who's obviously the captain number one for his country and has been led them superbly over the last two years. But his number two is depth. You know, getting selected ahead of him in Jamie George. Your thoughts on that? Because you obviously know both players really well. Yeah. It's- you know, it, it's a tough one. I think, you know, there's been echoes of a lot of people saying, you know, if you put Hartley and George on a team seat together, who would you rather have? And some people go George. I think England, Hartley seems to be the right fit for leading them at the moment. I think Eddie's invested a lot of him. And, you know, what he brings to the whole party, I think probably for Eddie's eyes, pushes him ahead. You know, uh, maybe, you know, Jamie's a very talented player who maybe offers a little bit more in the loose and also is very good at the scrum and the line out where Hartley's good. But Hartley's sort of, um, accountability, the way he, the way he leads, the way he sets standards, the way he he makes others act around him, I think has been his X factor for Eddie and that England team. Yeah. Maybe when you go into a Lions environment, you know you've got the kind of players in the room that a lot of players in the room that maybe brings some of the stuff that Dylan's you know Stardust and such counts for, and, and that might have weighed against him and, and, and pushed him over the edge. And also, you've got to look at some of Jamie George's most recent performances for Saracens. You know, once he came back from the Six Nations. He's put consistent performance after consistent performance together. Even you know, even though after he selected how he played yesterday as well, it's just another testament to how good a player he is. Mm. Uh, you know, you're part of a front five, and we all know everyone in the front row believes that it's the most special place in the in the whole team <laughs> because we know what it takes and we know how. How manly you have to be to play there. Because so, you, you lock and play anywhere yeah. else, that's what he means. <laughs> but, you know, with a, with a front five, um, you know, you'll know much better than the hookers who puts the weight in and how much of that is down to the combination of locks who are familiar, either the right shape or just for whatever reason play well together. Is it possible to? to have a combination that works better when you have two seemingly lesser players like other things? Or is it as a sort of position where actually, you know, in set piece, it's just size that counts and provided you've got that bulk and power, you can get away with it? Can you, I'm really sorry, I lost you for a little bit of the question. Would you mind just repeating yeah, the, sure. the, the, but, the matter well, that I don't yeah, want to miss what, what I'm saying is, you know, in, in a lot of areas, you can say, look, uh, the two best players don't necessarily make the best combination and unit. Uh, yeah. But in the second row, when it comes to powering the scrum, is it the same? Um, you know, so Itoji and Cruz, 
who on the face of it might not be the biggest players. Yeah. Um, can they be as effective as as two two lads who are who are just yeah. constitutionally more got, solid? Got your question now, perfect. Yeah, yeah, they they can because a lot of it goes, you know, weight and size only counts for so for so much in the scrum. You know, because you look at some packs that have monster second rows. Yeah, and I think and and you know they rely on just ballast. But what Cruz and Atoji have offered for say Saracens and for say England is they are you know they are very efficient with one body shapes, to um, the mentality that they take to scrum is they don't give up, they scrum for a long time. You look at that Saracens pack yesterday, they got the ball to the back, they waited, they waited, and then they went. And, and thirdly, it's the way they're coached. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, if you look at England's set piece, if you look at maybe Saracens set piece, it's very smartly coached. They get the yeah. best out of their eight. They're very efficient. You know, the props stay very, pretty square. Yeah. Everyone keeps their feet in the deck. The, the second row is a very good state. It all starts on the engage, and uh, if you watch what Billy Vona Pola does on the engage, he adds his weight on the engage. Yeah. They get a good little six-inch hit, and then they sink there, and they're happy to wait there, and, and they use their eight better than anyone else. And a lot of that has to come credit to those second rows who technically are, are very flawless at what they do. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Alex, thank you very much for your contribution, as always. Hope to speak to you again very shortly, mate. Thank you. All the best. And good Cheers, Take care. See you, Martin. Cheers. Uh, well, very uh, soon we'll be speaking to Rory Underwood for a perspective that neither Martin nor I can give, which is a, that of a flying winger. Um, uh, but, uh, but mine, in the end, is it the question when you go down, do you think we, when, when the Lions go to New Zealand, the old adage that if they don't match them up front, they've no chance? Or... Do do does this Lions squad have a little bit more in it that 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 suggests that if they come close and reasonably competitive at the set piece and breakdown, they might have something extra. Uh, look, I I think my first initial thoughts when the squad was announced was, wow, how strong is that squad when you look at the players who've not been picked, but. You need what gets overlooked with New Zealand, and you know this as much as anybody more. They are very, very strong at the set piece as well because they're so good at all the other things. I think we overlook yes. how good they are in the scrum and the line out, etc. But yeah. they are one of the, you know don't become the number one team in the world for that long with with just yeah. winning ball. They're very, very strong set piece wise. But I think that is an area where you know Northern Hemisphere sides traditionally you know they, they are strong. So. Got a, look if they don't win this set piece of the Lions they've got no chance so um, yeah. I agree with you that, that is one area they need to be absolutely nailed on I tell, one of the things one of the reasons why I think they, it gets downplayed with them is they've learnt you know from a long time that the adage is if you're big enough that's fine we mm. don't want you to be any bigger but you certainly should be big enough and powerful enough to play in your position and after that we want you to be much more skillful than everyone else. And so when, you know, players like Ritalik and what have you, they're just not huge hulks. No. They're just enough. Just like Ian Jones was enough, like uh, Robin Brook was enough. Then people sort of underestimate, as you say, just how effective they are. I mean, I'm sure that's part of it. Anyway, I think we can we can move the discussion on to speed now, um, which I... Uh, only know a little bit about from 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 watching players like our next guest, who is the former Lions and England wing, uh, just the six caps for the Lions. Um, Try scorer against New Zealand in 1993. Um, was responsible for making me drink alcohol during a game, as well. Rory Underwood. Good evening, Rory. Hi, Brian. Hello, Good man. to hear your voice. Yeah. <laughs> 
Now then, um, I'll tell my bit of this story. You tell your bit as to how um, you scored your try uh, in Wellington. OK. I, I, normally I tell both sides of the story, but I will leave your bit to it. But, um, oh. <laughs> you know, it was, it was uh, you know, you remember, it was uh, just hearing you and Martin talking about the forwards. Um, yeah. I think we matched them up front in that second test. And it yes, was, we did, um, yeah. It was good that we actually had that probably slight edge. And uh, I think it was... Um, Sean Fitzpatrick, who tried to run forward and got tackled, and yeah. you know, we you, you heard you talking about um, the skill set. I mean, that's the thing that for me always stands out. It, the skill set of the average All Black is way, way better than the rest of other countries. That's the big thing I've always taken from watching and playing against them. And um, to see Sean knock the ball on was a real shame. But I mean, Dowie picked the ball up, and uh, I wouldn't say we had that thought of trying to run everything, but the opportunity came, passed it to uh, Jerry, and you know, thing about Jerry all the skill set he's got, one of the things I enjoyed the most being outside of Jerry was his um, timing of the pass. Yeah. And he timed it just right for me to be able to get outside of um, John Kerwin and squeeze in the corner. I mean, all I can remember was getting the ball. To me, you know, you know, it's like everything sort of seems like longer and longer. It's felt like 60, 80 metres, but I was probably just over the halfway line. But as I was running down the line, I was running past the bench, and I can remember seeing all the guys on the bench jumping out. It was a bit like early days of run, forest, run. Um, <laughs> and I... And it was one of my worst dives ever because, you know, your point was just to get the ball down. And yeah. I think I took off from about 10 yards out, bounced a couple of times in the old-fashioned of Barnes-Wallace. And, but, you know, great to get my, my you know, one test cap try. And, of course, uh, your story is much more funny than mine. Well, no, because, I, you see, I was watching because I started to try and chase you down there. And I thought, there's no point. I said, because I'm not going to catch him. And if he gets caught, I'm going to be miles. Just, you know, and, I, and, I, and I actually, funnily enough, it was such a good pass from Jerry. It did give you the angle to take uh, JK out. Um, and I just knew you were going to get there. So I didn't bother after about 10 metres. And I was celebrating reasonably wildly with the crowd who were um, not exactly reciprocating in the manner I thought they should be doing, really. Yeah. And um, they were throwing cans at me, including and one bounced about a, m- a metre, two metres away from me, which was full. And I, and I thought, well... Shall I or shan't I? And um, so I thought, I'll oh, go on, why not? Uh, so I drank it and um, pushed it, and then more. loads more came down. And I, th- I said, well, I can't, I can't drink all of them. Um, you drink the whole can? I would yeah. say the yeah, yeah, so, toasted the crowd. But... Yeah, so they well, anyway, but, the, but the end, at the end of the day, um, that, was, um, that was a reasonably comprehensive win. What do you think the chances are of, of replicating the 2-1 uh, in their favour, in the Lions' favour this time. Well, that's what I think. That's what my hedge is for the score. But mm-hmm. you know that that series. Once we didn't, you know, we lost the first one. and We got to one all, but we just got blasted away in that third test. Yeah. And I think um, you know they they learn very quickly. You know they when you when you hear the the um, uh, interviews, when you hear about the stories, you know when they get beat, the next thing they do is they make sure they come back and don't lose again. And really. For an unfortunate, um, well, it depends who you speak to, whether it was Dino or not, they gave that penalty away by an Australian mm. ref in the last seconds, of, well, dying seconds of the game mm. for Grant Fox. Fair enough, you know, knock it over from the halfway line, but we lost that game by narrowest of margins. Thought we came back in the second test, but, you know, they they turned it around and really obliterated us in that third test, my memories of it. And, you know, do you want to take the, the series? You've got, to, you've got to be starting right on... You know, right on the nail on the first test. You've got to win that first one. If you don't, it's a real uphill um, struggle. 
and uh, it's been interesting listening to all you know you guys in the punditry and, the, and and in the press etc talking about like anything the permutations the real challenge that you know we always I'm sure you do whenever people ask you about the Lions is you know we've got the best players we should just win but you know they're from four different countries playing in a different way they've got to try and work out how to get the patterns the units the different um, uh, you know partnerships working and with the tour now only being 10 matches I think uh, was it because um, our tour was what two and a half weeks two and a half months wasn't it I don't know this one's like six weeks isn't it mm. So they're missing four or five games that we had um, to build up or be beaten up, whichever way you want to look at it. And that's that's the real challenge. And, of course, the less time you've got to get those um, partnerships and, uh, you know, pairings, etc., sorted out, the harder it becomes. And especially with the sort of slightly diabolical nature we have where we potentially... Well, we know Saracen's players won't be going, so six, seven of them aren't going to be going um, because of the um, European... Um, final and probably they're going to be there I suspect for the um, premiership final so um, you know we're going to have some players that are not going to be available for the first game or two. Rory Martin Williams hope you're well. I'm well mate how are you? Yeah good thanks just be good to get your thoughts on your you know your all positions really the back three and I, I think it's really exciting they've got a good mix there anybody you know what, what would your test back three be at the minute you know with our squad picked? Well um, I suppose the one good thing we've got in in the squad at the moment, the backs, is we've got lots of kickers. So mm. we've got Lee Halfpenny, Owen Farrell, and Johnny Sexton. So it really depends on how they want to play. So um, we've got somebody playing fly half. So at the moment, I don't think that Lee Lee uh, Halfpenny is playing as well as he has done. So it's going to be an interesting um, decision as to what that's going to be. I think George North is a is a shoe in. Yeah. Um, and then it's a real question of where they want to play and I'm not, I'm not sure from the way that the, the squad was announced as to whether they think Daly's a, a centre or a, or a winger I don't know whether you've seen the official um, positions laid out by the, the Lions or not but um, obviously he's been doing a job for um, uh, for England on, on the wing during the Six Nations um, so what have I picked um, I would probably still go for Lee I just think he's got a chance to um, finish off the season well with uh, uh, with the French league, and then and then and then come to the four. He's got the experience. Uh, he's a good backup kicker, George North, and um, it's going to be interesting. It's a real. Uh, it's I've struggled to think of which would be my uh, the right winger um, at the moment because there's there's two or three people that you could probably um, see how they come up. I mean, both of you have been on tours. You know, it's like you, you you think you've got a test team, and then two or three players just sort of pop their head up yeah. during the tour, and and, mm. and and form comes into play. Rory, um, just finally before you go, could I could I um, could I ask you this? If you did have a, uh, a a choice as to where Elliot Daly would play, where do you think in the end he's got the most talent? Um, me, I think in the centre as mm-hmm. a thirteen. But of course, um, with England, we're we're blessed with having two great thirteen. Jonathan Joseph, I think, is outstanding. I've been a big admirer of Elliot Daly for a long time. Uh, he's got pace. Uh, he's got great hands, um, and I think we're very lucky to have those two positions. But he's got the all-round skills, as has been shown, to play on the wing and not look out of place. Um, and the word I, I don't know, I was just hearing through the, the grapevine from various people, I think um, Eddie Jones maybe in the future is seeing him as a potential 15. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's got a very big boot on him, um, both out of hand and off the ground. So, yeah. Um, you know, have somebody like that, you know, sort of the Mikey Hall for us when, the, you know, 89, 
uh, having somebody who's got that flexibility to play in the centre or on the wing mm. is a great factor to have. Um, so a difficult one. I mean, it's, I'll probably, it's, the, it's the most number of players I've seen in a nine squad that are able to play in various positions. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee Halfpenny can play, either Lee Williams can play. Um, I'm sure Tommy Seymour's a probably played fullback as well. Anthony Watson can play anywhere in the back three. Don't Daly can play 13 or 14. So there's quite a large implementations, which is going to be interesting to see how the uh, line selectors um, work through that in the short period they got before the first yeah. test. And I think the forwards are the same, aren't they? You know, you look at the yeah. second rows, back rows, they can all, they're all hybrids, really, so it's interesting. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, tell you what, Rory, thank you very much, mate, because we've Pleasure. got to move Cheers, on to, to get an Irish point of view, which we will be doing uh, very shortly with Malcolm O'Kelly. Time now to speak to uh, former Leinster and Ireland uh, second row, Malcolm O'Kelly, I hope. Malcolm, good evening. Hiya, Brian. How's it going? Uh, OK, mate. Now, um, it, it, it sounded uh, a little bit closer than possibly uh, it was the result today with uh, with Leinster coming back at, at the end. Um, how can you, can you tell us how the game seemed to get away from them, you know, very early? It's unusual for... For Leinster to, to to be slow out of the blocks, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Leinster definitely. I think they're affected and intimidated by the atmosphere. Uh, right. I think the atmosphere was uh, was incredible. Um, certainly, certainly from uh, I don't know. I was watching it from the, t- from the TV, but it just looked incredible and probably probably something that they hadn't really uh, anticipated. Quite the level. Uh, with a lot of guys who, who really, you know, were inexperienced and probably facing it for the first time, um, they made a lot of mistakes. Mainly lineouts. They, mm. they, I think the first, I think four throws they lost, so they had no possession. And Leinster used to dealing with possession and, and holding off to the ball and playing with the ball and forcing the opposition to 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 tackle phase after phase. Plus Claremont. Uh, were really buoyed, I think, by the atmosphere. Um, I really got out of the blocks um, and played some breathtaking rugby uh, that, uh, that Leinster uh, couldn't really couldn't really contend with. Uh, coupled with a, like a sin bin from Issa Nasiwa, things were looking very ominous. At fi- they were they were lucky to be only fifteen nil down, um, and it, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, but they dug deep. Uh, stuck in the game, uh, and then came at half time. They managed to get a uh, to get a, a kick over, and it was fifteen three, and it could easily be a lot more. Uh, and then they got into the game. They got into the game. Then after that, and they found themselves, and you know, played some good rugby. Mal, it's nugget, you. Hope you're well, pal. Ah, how are you, man? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Just good. what's been the you know last year. By Leinster standards, it was a very average season. What's, what's been the difference this year? Top of the Pro 12 and obviously getting to the semi-finals of the Champions mm. League. Anything in particular? Stuart Lancaster had an effect? Yeah, I, I, I think Stuart Lancaster has had an effect. Uh, he well, His role uh, originally certainly was to come in um, as defensive coach. Um, but I think he's had more of an effect than that. Um, Graham Henry was also involved right. um, early on. Uh, and he kind of picked out guys like Joey Carberry, uh, suggesting that these guys were, were the future. Right? Um, you know, there's a lot of guys who've come to the fore, Dan Levy, uh, Jack Conan, um, who, who, were probably, who probably weren't at that kind of level. 
uh, coupled with some of the some of the, the like the rowers like Dev Toner uh, and Hayden Triggs, who kind of who who become more physical uh, and contend with um, uh, the, the the bigger clubs. Um, I, I think they still have a way to go, uh, but it was very promising. Uh, you know, the second half was incredible, and uh, you know. Like uh, 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 the fact that like Dan Levy was caught cheating, you'd hardly blame him for that. <laughs> Norris, you know, yeah. uh, you, you certainly wouldn't blame him for uh, for trying it. I just blame him for getting um, caught, mate. That's the thing. Like that's the difference in the game, you mm. know. Like that, you know. The, like you, you know, when, when myself and Nugget, and certainly when you were playing, Brian, there'd be no fear <laughs> of that getting caught up, you yeah. know. And uh, you know that would have been the match for Leinster, and he would have got out of got out of there uh, uh, with a fortuitous win. So well, a lot well, to be optimistic for, I'd say. Malcolm, um, everyone obviously views their countrymen slightly more favourably than than everyone else in terms of line selections. That's only natural. Um, what's the response been from the Irish uh, rugby faithful to the uh, Irish representation in this particular squad? Um, I think it's probably... Probably fair, fair enough. Uh, you know, Omani, Omani and O'Brien on like arguably neither could have gone. Um, I think it'll be tough for O'Brien to to make it to a test position because um, of his the amount of injuries he seems to ship. Uh, someone like Jamie could have been, uh, you know, uh, the kind of guy to see to, but he himself is actually injured. Um, you know the likes of Conor Murray and Sexton, like they're they're always going to be selected, and the two front rowers um, a good value. You know, Keen Healy could have been another, uh, and you know, as a, a, a good a good like we saw what Gary Ringrose can do. Um, yes, like he is he is a real talent. Uh, and for me, you know, maybe maybe could have gone, but the, the mm. competition is incredible, and, and and a lot of good players aren't going. Uh, but it's an enduring tour, so. You would expect um, you would expect that there might be a couple more going by the end of the tour, but uh, I think in general it was fair. Uh, now you, you know, like trying to trying to get the Irish public to to decide there was there was a fair selection. Like I, I remember reading one tweet from Peter Clausey complained there was only three Munster players on it. <laughs> uh, you know, like we've we've lost because there's four Leinster players. You know that kind of thing, or five Leinster players. So uh, he he he'd be very upset over that, you know. So uh, you're not going to get a uh, clear a clear cut. Uh, we we agree with the selection, but I think it's fair. I think it was fair enough. Well, you know? it'd be remiss of me, really. Uh, we've got you on your uh, to go back to the old five tour. Yeah. Um, in New Zealand, just give us a little bit of an insight to what you know how difficult a place it is to tour down there. Um, yeah. You, you, no doubt, you know they're, they're out there. The one thing is that that, that all the all the, uh, the the provincial sides are are uh, have one goal, and that is to to upset and to break down the uh, the Lions uh, uh, squad and to do as much damage as they can, um, and just try and ruffle the feathers. That's for sure. Just no soft touch. You go down to Australia. You go down to South Africa. Those midweek games are are there's not there's not an enduring factor to it, mm. you know. Whereas uh, all the, those midweek matches are absolute, uh, they're, they're 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 test matches each one, um, uh, and 
on top of all that, the public is just so so pro New Zealand, and it's it's it, every every place you go to, you're you're getting a proper New Zealand welcome, you know, and it's yeah. it, it's it's a tough it's a tough place to go. Plus, the winters down there in New Zealand <laughs> are there. They're not pretty, you know. They're not pretty. So it's the toughest tour by far. Absolutely. Would you? Would you? Would you say, um, Malcolm? I remember being in. Um, well, it was no more than a motel. Uh, seriously, <laughs> um, in Hamilton, uh, after a training session which was sodden, and people were hanging their own stuff on electric radiators and thinking, "Please don't catch fire." Uh, and so on. The way that um, the tours are organised now, do you think um, that has evened up a little bit of the that the sort of logistical framework, given the resources that the Lions now have? Um, do you mean like the uh, the the well, the attention tours, to detail the behind the scenes? What's behind the scenes? Yeah. Well, you can't fault what goes on behind the scenes. Of this. Right. The professionalism of it is in, is incredible. Like, yeah. uh, and the logistics of it are incredible. Now, every management are different. Like, we were down there in '05. Clive was Clive was uh, running it like a, a <laughs> like a business, and uh, everybody had their folders, and we were all got into the meetings. We were taking notes, and we were. We were, you know, uh, all the managers had their say and it was, uh, okay, meeting adjourned and, and back we go. Yeah. Uh, and then we train, you know, like it was it was tried to do, because of the logistics of the New Zealand Tour and the, such a large scope of players that they had, yeah. you know, it was, it was, it was hard to find it was the balance of, you know, this is a rugby tour, we're rugby players yeah. and, and we're not, professional people you know it's that balance yeah. uh, I think Warren has got it right the last couple of times so uh-huh. he thinks he know. I think he knows what what makes the Lions tick uh, and it is it, it, it it's a hard thing to actually bottle you know uh, yeah. uh, but like the professionalism of the players now is, is not a doubt you know that the guys are focused and, and they're, you're going to get the best out of them. It's really about managing them and making sure that you keep as many of them on the tour and aren't, aren't, aren't on the uh, injury on the injury bench, you know? Yeah, well, we will, we will see fairly shortly and I'm sure there'll be at least, I reckon there'll be at least five or six replacements. But Malcolm, very interesting, insightful as usual and thank you very much. Cheers, Mal. Brian, take care. Good to see Cheers. you back on top. Thank you very much. Cheers, Mal. Okay. Uh, Martin, very very quickly, we I think one of the things, one of the points I wanted to make, which I haven't been able to make this far, is when the selectors have sat down and Warren Gatland has the last say, they are not being asked and they've not picked the top-rated thirty-eight players at this time in um, the uh, home nations, unions, and Ireland. They have picked a squad which he thinks he can mould into a squad and team that can take the Test Series in the best way he thinks he can do that. It's not a question of them like a beauty parade saying, you know, they're number one, two and three, four, five and six, seven, eight and nine. There are lots of variables in the background that people, and even we don't know, I think, we can hint at them, but we don't know that have gone into making the difference in individual selections that actually have nothing to do 
with a an objective, um, you know, six out of ten, ten out of ten, you know, uh, an award system. Absolutely, but I think we mentioned it earlier with. Uh Saracen's moral that you, you, you select the right sort of people as well as the right sort of players. We, you know how difficult a Lions tour is. Yeah. It is you, you need characters on that tour. You need people with an edge. And I think that's when you look at those uh, those selectors, uh, those players selected, they, 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 there's a great balance there as well. You know, there's different options. Um, there's not the same old, same old. They, you know, you look at the back line, there's power, there's pace, there's guile. So I, I think you're spot on there. You don't just pick, you don't just take a stat sheet out and just go, right, they're the best, you know, three props. You know, they, you look at characters, you know, and, and no doubt he's spoken to, apart from the Scottish, where there isn't really an influence in that coaching uh, and selection room, you know, they, they know those players and their characters behind the scenes as well, which, which in such a short space of time, in six weeks, when you've got to gel so well, you need those sorts of, you know, the right sort of people on that tour. Yeah. Okay, right. Uh, it's now time to switch codes to uh, the great game of rugby league, and I'm uh, very pleased to say we can speak with the editor of the 4020 magazine, Phil Kaplan. Good evening, Phil. Good to speak to you, Brian. How are you? I'm all right, mate. Now, look, this is quite incredible, actually. Huddersfield Giants, 24. Swinton Lions, 28. Now, I know Huddersfield have been struggling, but... Did 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 you did anyone see this coming? No, nobody. In fact, I think this is probably the biggest Challenge Cup shock since probably 2003 when Hunslet beat Huddersfield. Uh, Huddersfield were in a similar position then and Hunslet were a low division club. They beat them 18-14. But this is astonishing because yes. we should also uh, bear in mind that not only have the days of part-time and full-time grown so far apart, but Swinton themselves had three debutants. So to come up with a performance like that at Super League Huddersfield, no matter that they're, they're down in the dumps and Ryan Briley during the week in the preparation for the game went off and joined Toronto Wolfpack, this yeah. is a massive shock. And we, we knew Huddersfield had issues. We, we saw that last year when they finished 12th when the 23-round split came and that they got away with relegation because uh, they didn't quite make the million-pound game by, by a drop goal, to be honest. But... Yeah. Their recruitment hasn't been fantastic for this year, and this now is probably rock bottom. And nor does it account for the fact that they shipped five tries. I mean, you know, we're not talking about Swinton shutting up shop and having a heroic defensive effort and, you know, getting through by the skin of the teeth and so on. Are you talking about a side that has put, gone, gone over the whitewash five times? And the try that won it was very late on from hooker Luke Waterworth, who went over yeah. from acting halfback, which again tells you that Huddersfield's defensive commitment on their own line is a real issue for them at the moment. Yeah. I, I think the, the coach, Rick Stone, who currently is with them, although, as you'll expect, rumours are circulating that he may not be by tomorrow, although I'm not sure that solves the problem, said it tells you a little bit about where this club is at the moment. And I think that's the issue, that the senior players that are in the team, particularly in the pack, are not doing a job for him. The halfback situation has been fluid for a while. Danny Bruff, again, is serving a suspension for... Yeah. For dissent, and and we know how important he is to getting that team around the field. But but I tell you what, look, the, the very fact that it's for dissent suggests to me there's a frustration there. Yeah, well, it goes back to the beginning of last year as well. When D Danny's a very proud man, he's uh, yeah. been a fantastic ambassador for Scottish rugby league. Yeah. Wears his heart on his sleeve. 
Um, and he was relinquished of the captaincy at Huddersfield. It was given to an Australian coming in called Ryan Hinchcliffe, and I think that did create some bad blood in the dressing room. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure it caused factions, but, but Danny is the sort of guy that wants to lead the team both physically and metaphorically, and the captaincy was very, very important to him. So yeah. To have that taken off him, I think it, there is one of the root causes of the problems in that dressing room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I was watching the Widnes uh, game against St. Helens, and it, it was, um, you know, it turned out to be a close affair, two points. But I, I, I get, I was, I was waiting for Widnes to cut loose because for, for a lot of the game, it seemed to me that they were, they were, either, either uh, figuratively, um, or or actually, or actually, just bigger and stronger and more solid up front. And I thought at some point this is going to tell, and yet it. It didn't quite go the way I thought it was going to do. No, it's the Easter period, though, and, and obviously you'll know that it's very hard to play games on a weekly basis, but to Fair play enough, this, yeah. this sport three times in eight days, it, it is a question of really who's left standing, it's mixing and matching, it's who's got guys coming back from in, injury, who's losing players... How good are your youngsters? Because you're going to have to play them over some part of the season. And Widners are coming through a, a, a period where they, they've hardly had their top guns on the field. Yeah. They showed a lot of spirit on Easter Monday with a, a lot of youngsters in the side at Leeds, even though in a lost cause. And I think they just dug this one out. It, it says probably as much about St Helens as it does about Widners. Right. That um, Kieran Cunningham obviously has gone, which was another surprise, I think, if we'd drawn up a list of coaches that would lose their job at the start of the season. He wouldn't have been at the top of it. And no. That was more about style of play, and it, it seemed as though there was a, an inhibition and a restriction on St Helens, but they reverted back to that on Thursday when Widnes put them under pressure. And what about, um, what about well, the, the, the term that's being used, um, it's quite a posh term, actually, is resurgent Warrington Wolves, but you can't, you know, you've got to say four... Straight uh, wins now, and a latest one against uh, Wakefield Trinity. Um, can everyone breathe a sigh of relief and just just get onwards and upwards with under Tony Smith now? Again, I'm pretty sure that it comes from the fact that you've got to dig out a win at some stage when you've had such a poor start to the season on the league table and it's not been um, the, the kind of start that you'd envisaged. All you have to do is jag a win. Uh, and when you get one win, you then can move mm. on to the next game and get another one. I think the important thing for Warrington, I mean, they are the form team, they're unbeaten in five at the moment, mm. um, is the fact that they won it in the last minute. And that says more about their character. I think Tony Smith was obviously concerned about the way that they play. Uh, they weren't dominant at any stage. In fact, if, if anything, Wakefield shutting up shot with 20 minutes to go cost them the game. Instead of going on and trying to win it, it was almost yeah. as if we'll keep kicking to touch and we won't lose it. And against a team like Warrington, who've got so many creative players, the, that can come back and bite you. And indeed it did with uh, Tom Lynham's trying the last minute. So Warrington's certainly not playing at their best, but you mm-hmm. look at the league table at the moment, they've gone from bottom to fourth from bottom and we know yeah. that dividing line between eighth and ninth is going to determine where you play in the in the middle eights or not then they're, they're up there back in the mix they need three or four more results to uh, get towards the top four there's a bit of a breakaway at the top and a little bit of a one at the bottom now and we're, we're virtually at the halfway stage they need another three or four wins however they get them to set them up for the eights yeah we're, we're looking we're looking at a crucial part of the time and we and you alluded to this um, we all know why this happens, and it's it's mainly money. Let's face it. But is it really tenable to put these squads under this pressure physically 
um, with so many fixtures in such a short space of time? Or do does actually at some point player welfare have to come into this? It's an absolute disgrace, to be perfectly honest. If we're serious about duty of care, but words that are banded about, we, we say we've got to have concussion protocols, there needs to be a minimum of five days between matches yeah. to make teams play twice within that period goes against everything that you say that you're supposed to be doing. You also want a quality of the sport. You also want at some stage to win international games. Your players at domestic level are being put under far too much Mm -hmm. duress. Absolutely no question about that at all. And 30 matches is too long in the season. And this is a World Cup year, so we've got to factor in a second Easter weekend at the end of May Mm -hmm. and also some players travelling off to Australia for a one-off test Mm -hmm. at the beginning of May. So I think this season we, we certainly have got the worst of both worlds. Yeah. Uh, American football, which again, we're not comparing light with light, but you know, they're now saying that you need up to 72 hours recovery after a game. Uh, so that you can go through training, you can go through rehab, yeah. but you're not going to go back into full contact yeah. in training until 72 hours after. Well, these guys are playing games 72, 72 hours after. Yeah. And you cannot do that at this level of sport and expect... A, a standard, but far more importantly, them to be looked after in the manner in which we think they should be accustomed for our entertainment. No, I think that's... Uh, well, I, rugby um, can learn a lot from American football because it is, to me, the most one of the most professional team sport games in the world and the standard analysis they do into every aspect of that sport you know, dwarfs what... Uh, what, what most of the sports do, and, and even even football, which is a world game, you know, fails it. So they they will they will they will lead the way on this, and I'm sure at some point it will have to be addressed. But uh, it's the first time I've ever spoken to you, Phil. Please, will you come back and assist us um, in the in the very near future, mate? It would Great. be my absolute pleasure any time you like. Cheers, Phil. Thanks very much. Thank you. In association with QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions, supporting the team behind the team. You're listening to uh, Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. I'm Brian Moore and I'm pleased to say that joining me, and who has been making his usual a stellar contribution to the show, Wales and former Lions star Martin Williams, who I think he's going to kick off with a couple of viewers, not viewers, what am I talking about? <laughs> Listen, listeners, questions. Uh, no, I'm being told that Martin doesn't have the questions. I, in fact, have them, which is news to me, so I will make them up, I think. Um, Wait, I think Abby's walking in with them as we speak more. Oh, is she? I think All it is. All right, okay. Oh, yes, here we are, here we are, here we are. I do have them. Martin, um, how can Wales... I won't, I, won't, I won't put the author on this one, because it's me, basically. I'm asking right. my own one. <laughs> Wales, who came fifth in the Six Nations, <clears throat> did not have a team beyond the quarterfinals of the uh, Champions Cup and have not done particularly well in the Pro 12. Um, how can they justify having so many more players than the, than the Scots? Because Warren Gatland and Rob Howley are on the coaching staff, I think that's uh, you know the simple answer to that. Yeah. Uh, I really do. I think if Vern Cotter was coaching the Lions, you wouldn't have got as many Welsh on there. If Eddie Jones 
or Joe Schmidt, you wouldn't have had as many Welsh on there. I think you know that's the. It, it, it's always been that way though. Moro, I look back to two thousand and one. Graham Henry probably took a few too many Welshmen um, on that tour. I think Clive in two thousand and five took too many, probably too too many English. And that's the danger you have. Well, not the danger, but that's the issue you have when you have yeah. a current coach. And he's gone on, and you put yourself in Warren Gatlin's. Um, shoes you are you going to pick somebody on the last four or five games or are you going to pick somebody on the last four or five years and and he's gone with players who have performed in big big games um, over the last four or five years um, under his uh, under his tenure and I think the Scottish can really feel aggrieved and a little bit angry but then when you when you boil down to it on which you could make a case for Finn Russell I think over Dan Bigger um, but then you listen to Gatlin's explanation that he wants really strong defensive outside halves, which Sexton, Farrell and Bigger are. Um, apart from Hamish Watson, I, oh, I think I'm a massive fan of Hamish Watson. Mm. I think he's an outstanding player. But with Warburton, Warbert Tipperick, O'Brien, O'Mahony, very, very difficult to get the nod over them. So I just think it, it is, um, it's one of those selections, as we all know, if it's a successful tour, he will, <laughs> he will be uh, claimed a genius. If yep. not, he's opened himself up for a lot of criticism. But um, I think that's, that's the answer to your question there. Well, I'll, I'll just make two, two, two comments on that. First is this, if I'm coach of something, and my neck is on the line, and I'm going to get it if it goes wrong. I tell you what, I'm going to have the players I want. I'm not going to have a committee decision on this. No. You know, I'm going to have the players I want because my neck is well and truly on the line. So I, I do understand that. And secondly, when I heard the, the comments of, um, I think it was uh, of uh, Mouse McLaughlin, um, I understood what he was saying about his, the imperative is important for Scotland to have their coaches, you know, with them, for the first time on their national tour because it's a big thing for them. But that has consequences as well. Yeah. Because you don't have people in selection meetings fighting corners um, that, that, that you would have if they were there. Yeah. And whatever you say, you know, England didn't release Eddie Jones. They wouldn't do that. You know, um, Wales did release Warren Gatland. And I think, personally, that did have some effect on their, on their Six Nations performances. Um, I'm not sure you can make a case for it being, you know, you know a huge effect, but it's bound to have had something. And therefore, you know, they've given something uh, which other sides and other unions have just frankly said, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. And if that is a consequence for individuals, that's really unfortunate, but I'm afraid that's life. Yeah, I've got I've got a question for you, you Moral, yeah, which is from Twitter, which I think is perfect for you. It's from Michelle Rue Junior, and it's right. Do you think the Lions should have a French player in the side? A French player <laughs> yeah. or French from players? French players in the My side. God, from Michelle Rue Junior, just to weaken the squad. <laughs> I tell you what, I might take one as a bag water carrier, but uh, as a no, cook, Michelle, as a chef, maybe, and that's as about a chef, it. Yeah, yes, that's fair enough. No, I know Michelle well. He's been cheeky. Um, we, shall, we shall come down to that. I, I tell you what, it's, it's like this though, Mark, isn't it? It's difficult enough trying to combine four countries just, who all actually at least speak English, you, whether it's their native tongue or not. <laughs> you know, if you put the French in there, and we all love the French, let's face it, <laughs> the psychological conundrums will be so great. Look, they, do, they can't even get on with each other. The dynamic. Never, never name get on with anyone else. <laughs> the dynamic would be very interesting. So it would be there. very, very different. Yeah. <laughs> it would be very... I tell you what would be interesting. 
But I think you'd need more than five weeks. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, right. Um, I think very, very shortly, because we're coming to the end of the show, um, but we still have to cover our usual feature on uh, rugby, super rugby from down under. And very shortly we'll be speaking with the New Zealand rugby commentator, Daniel McCarty. In fact, hopefully he's there now. Dan? G'day, guys. Hello, G'day. mate. How are you? Oh, we're well. Well, well, yeah, I bet you are. You, yeah, yeah, because because it it always turns out that the 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 Kiwis and let's face it, they there's nothing you can say apart from the fact that that, that they they deserve, you know, to to be to be where they are. Although, I um, you know, I did think that the uh, uh, the Chiefs struggled a little bit more than I thought they would against Western Force. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I, I, I think we probably thought that the Chiefs were breezed by, but the Chiefs have probably made hard work of the last few weeks on their tour. But yes. guess what? They still walk away with the number of competition points, don't they, Barb? Yes. Uh, wonderful game against the Stormers, uh, which was a brilliant ad- advertisement for rugby overall. Yes. Um, but then the Stormers, I guess, have, um, have realised once you actually get on the road, it can be quite difficult because they were absolutely mauled by the Crusaders. Yeah. Um, uh, over the weekend, that was that was some half from the Crusaders to remain unbeaten and racking yeah. up all those points in the first half. Yeah. It was quite sublime at times. And granted, I, I, I think all the breaks went the Crusaders' way. Yeah. There were a couple of uh, fourteen-point tries there, um, and the Storm was probably left scratching their head on, uh, you know, that, that, that eighty-minute performance. But we, we can um, laud the New Zealand Conference for sure. I think it needs to be done. But gee, we're scratching our heads at times too, going. No, what I, is wrong I, with the Australian conference and, you know, how top-heavy the South African one appears to be? Well, I mean, we, we've been talking over the, over the, the weeks. We try and uh, vary the uh, angle of the conversation between New Zealand, South Africa and Australia. And even the South African journalists are, are saying this, this cannot go on in the way that it is. It's, it's skewing the competition. It's not working. But one thing I wanted to pick up with you, everyone is looking... Um, from this side of the world as to who might be lining up against the Lions. And people like Aaron Cruden have almost been forgotten uh, because of Barrett and and, and, and other performances. And yet, when you look at them, there are three or four players um, in nearly every position who have reasonable cases to, you know, to, to, to have a shout against the Lions. Uh, I tend to agree with you there on that front. Um, the tour got very real here in New Zealand once the actual Lions squad was announced during the week, and now people are sort of debating it fiercely uh, and very much looking forward to it. And Aaron Cruden's a great example. The forgotten man, um, well, Bowden Barrett's is playing at such a sort of frightening level at the moment, yeah. uh, but what, what an able deputy to have. Um, and then we can go further, you know, even, even a player like uh, Damien McKenzie in that squad is now in a real foot race with someone like a, a Geordie Barrett out, yeah. of the, out of the Hurricanes to provide what a utility. But um, Aaron Cruden, if you look back at the, uh, the All Black sides of last year, Steve Hansen often uh, selecting a, a specialist first five on the bench because Bowden Barrett does give you that flexibility with his, um, with his uh, um, ability to go play in the back three. So he, he certainly won't be a forgotten man as far as Steve Hansen. And the selectors are concerned, but uh, Lima Sopawanga, Richie Mawanga too, who, who's a player I've always really enjoyed for the Crusaders. He's another one who's 
who just continues to grow and develop, and um, he's not a bad, uh, you know, what, fourth, first five option. So we we are quite lucky in parts. Daniel, Martin Williams here. Um, you say he's just got real down in New Zealand. I, I, I'm fortunate enough to be coached by Steve Hansen and you know get on with him really well. But I, I, interesting to see what your thoughts were. It is some of his comments when he was asked about the squad, uh, the British and Irish <laughs> Lions squad, when he's come up with, I've just written a few of the quotes here, clutching at straws. Um, another one was, I've never seen him do anything else other than that. I guess we need to be prepared for what we normally get. And that's you know in reference to Warren Gatron's style. Is that is that a little bit of nervousness? Or is that, um, I don't know, is he just overconfident, Steve? Very interesting comments. Well, well, it could be nervousness, it could be overconfidence, Martin, good to chat, but it's probably Steve Hansen this, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, good answer. <laughs> just, just his, I just don't, I don't think he can resist, can he? A bit like, <laughs> a bit like, a bit like Eddie Jones can't resist having a, um, a making a comment about um, everything, I, I just think it's in their DNA, and, and when I saw those comments, when I heard them on our station, I just got a big smile um, going with... Yes, uh, here we go. We're, we're going to have these um, little sort of verbal jousting matches between these uh, two coaches. Um, as for the Gatlin ball, we all know it. But uh, Steve Hansen did go on and elaborate, clutching at scores. He, he believes you've got to pick p- players to, who, who can deliver a style. Um, now, you, you boys are in a great position to tell me the, the 41-man squad they have announced... What is the best style for the Lions with that group of players? Let's be fair, there's so much depth. I think they can play a variety of ways. They, How will they? That is that is a really good good question. And the yeah, they do have the ability to be flexible. I the, my problem is whether they have the time. Yeah. And I'm just not sure that they have the time to have the innate sort of ability to assess a situation where the All Blacks have got to on the field, where they suddenly say, I don't care where we are on the field, this is what's on, and let's go and do it. I think that that is one of Warren's great strengths, is because the game plan is so simple, in a short space of time, it's very easy to pick up 09 with the Lions, 2013 with the Lions in South Africa and Australia, clicked very, very quickly. And I, and I, I just don't know whether it's Hansen as well, Steve trying to throw in a curveball, you know, tempting Warren to try and do something different, to just saying we're going to have to prepare for what we know. But I think it will be very much like a Warren Ball-style game, you, you know, with a little bit of starter sprinkled in. If, if anything, I think the Lions will feel um, we may just manage a little bit of an edge in the set piece. Not enough to dominate the game to, totally, but maybe to put New Zealand and especially the New Zealand back row on the back foot for periods of time during which we can get our runners, and they do have some powerful runners, over the game line quickly and then we can go from there. The problem that Martin and I have with this is that when you look at the New Zealand front five, uh, whichever incarnation they have, it really is not as bad as... Mm. No, no, it's not, it's not bad at all. It's just that it doesn't have the absolute stellar quality that they seem to have outside. And, and Martin and I were both saying, and you, you miss this, Daniel, that people often think that um, the front five is a weakness for New Zealand because it isn't actually as dominant um, globally as, as the, the other parts of the team. Uh, and yet, I, I think the Lions are thinking that actually, if they get that right, they may be able to 
to limit the All Blacks in, in some way and put themselves on the front foot. Whether that's actually the truth remains to be seen. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know where you're coming from, and I've got huge admiration for for the players and they're in the tight for the Lions. They're going to be very good at set piece, but the All Black scrum tends to get parity, and let's mm. not underestimate their line out, which I think has been one of the uh, the real sort of keys to, to All Black rugby being successful in recent mm. years. Uh, our line out could, uh, in the past, used to be a massive Achilles heel and create lots of stress for All Blacks fans. I think uh, in White Lock and Metallic, you've got arguably the finest All Black lock and pairing they've ever had. Mm. And the one thing that separates that loop, that type five, is their mobility and skill set. Mm. Um, the way they get around the park, the way they can catch and pass. Have you seen a hooker like Dane Coles in your life? Um, it, it's that. But they've got to somehow get parity at set piece. Uh, are they capable on their day? I think so, but it's going to be a huge test for them. Daniel, you know, New Zealand, you're renowned the All Blacks for just, you know, the, the conveyor belt of talent, really. But is, is there one player now who you think, right, we cannot do without him in this Lions test? You know, when your finger, you know, behind the sofa, really, when he's playing for Super Rugby, is there one guy you think, right, they, the All Blacks really need him in this test series? Well, well, well I'm a bit biased, I guess, because I, I get to call him every week for the Hurricanes. Bowden Barrett, yeah. the, the level for which he is playing World Player of the Year is. Is kind of frightening. Um, I, I do wonder if he's actually a fly uh, with eyes able to sort of roll around the back of the head because the spatial awareness and ability to see parts of the field where most teams are sort of in a, in a little bubble worried about the, the big rigs coming towards them. Um, he, he's just um, frightening um, at the moment. So he's probably the one. Yeah, uh, the halfback. Like twelve months ago, I would have thought Aaron, I would have told you Aaron Smith's the most important player to the All Blacks because the gulf between the number one halfback and the rest was a bit of a concern. I, I'm not in that camp now with the, with the form of TJ Perinara. Kubalo's yeah. fit back, playing well again. So I'm less concerned about that position, but I, I would probably say Bowden Barrett. Um, which probably won't surprise anyone listening to this because we've all got eyes and we've all seen what he's done for twelve months. Yeah. We will see, Daniel. It's it's going to be coming up fairly shortly. I'm sure there's a lot of there is a massive, massive interest in the series over here because it is New Zealand because it's the hardest tour, and I hope it's reciprocated when the Lions get down there. Thank you very much. Come back and speak to us uh, again. Look forward to it, lads. Cheers, Dan. Cheers, Dan. Thank you. Well, we very uh, we very nearly finished now, uh, Martin. Um, be- before we go, we've got to. Uh, I suppose we've got to put our necks on the line and say uh, the predictions for the the series. I, 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 look, I obviously I don't want I want the Lions to win every game. Yeah. Um, if they if they were to nick if they were to nick the series two one, it would be a monumental uh, effort. If they were to lose two one, I still think it's creditable. Uh, I'm not condoning. I'm not wanting them you know to go with a losing mentality. But this is a a tour which is so difficult that I, I just unfortunately can't see them having the time to get the fluency there. Uh, if they if they lose two one, I, I would reluctantly you know um, say that 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 is as probably as as good as we can expect. Um, I, I tend to agree with you there, Morrow. I think you can come away from a Lions tour with a loss with a little bit of credit. I think you know the squad did that in 09. 
down a very against a very good South African team. Um, and Rory Underwood touched upon earlier as well. You know, the, the fact that so many players are going to be missing at the start mm-hmm. because of the domestic finals and how tough those lead-up games are before the first test. It's going to be very very difficult. But I, I think the squad is definitely good enough to to nick a test to win a series is a is a long shot. But you never know. We'd never say Leicester City were going to win the league tomorrow, so we never know what can happen, <laughs> do we? That indeed is true. Thank you very much, Martin. Cheers, Moro. Thanks for inviting me. Um, You've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. Again, my thanks to my co-host, Martin Williams, and to my producer, Abby Patterson. Can I finally uh, thank all of you for tuning in? I'm feeling a lot better, um, and we'll we'll get get through this together. Next week, uh, I'll be joined by the Premiership's top try scorer of all time, Tom Vandell. Remember, you can get in touch with us throughout the week via the hashtag Full Contact. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a review. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.